Dry martini. Oui, monsieur. Wait. Three measures of Gordon's. One of vodka. Half a measure of quinoa lily. Shake it over rice and then add a thin slice of lemon peel. done this in a while what do you mean feels like just yesterday it doesn't it feels like a long time ago <laughs> to me feels like a while a wheelie it's been a wheelie it's 2021 Oof, welcome and it's such a different year it feels so different yeah, yeah we're free from Political discord. Yeah, nothing terrible has happened. No, there's nothing that we have to try and ignore. No, not at all. It's, it's all... just peace. It's yeah. like... Yeah. It's so good. I'm so glad that all of the problems we had were just because it was 2020. Yeah. You know, everyone was saying how bad 2020 exactly. was. And so... But that we're not there anymore. No. So now, so now it's fine. Problems abated. Yeah. For a while there, I was worried that we were actually seeing sort of a culmination and like a fulmination of the of sort of long-standing systemic and structural issues, which you know we'd been you oh. know, reaping for a long we'd been sowing for a long time, and yeah. now we're finally reaping the form of what looks like very acute issues, but actually have been you know driven by by you know sort of policy and trends that have been going on for decades but actually i think it's mostly just because it was 2020 and so now everything is normal it's good now we can just chill out watch some wandavision and we just say sa- it's the end of history again <laughs> you're back in francis fukuyama we're doing it again now we just get to sail into the calm open seas of the future where nothing's ever wrong. And movies can come out. And movies just come out. Great movies. Yeah, when like they, when they boss first level. Get announced. And F9, I guess. F9? F9. F9's coming out. What's F9 about? <laughs> Fast and Furious. Oh, okay. It's just called F9. F9. <laughs> <laughs> this one has John Cena in it. Uh, for, I, have you seen the trailer heard, for Fanon? I heard John Cena, but I pictured Michael Cera. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I got thoroughly excited by this. See, just he could take over any role, and no one mentioned it. I want him to be yeah. ludicrous, yeah. and nobody mentioned. <laughs> I think this is part of what was enjoyable about, enjoyable about Hobbs and Shaw was that on that little offshoot, they let themselves engage in more self-parody. Than they will in the rest of the F and F franchise, <laughs> because I think, I think in foof, I think the the, the foof guys are they're too serious. Like they know it's like we're always having a bit of fun, but I think like Vin Diesel, in his heart of hearts, probably does think like the emotional stakes of the Fast and Furious franchise are quite legitimate. Well, I think, and so he doesn't want it to turn into an absolute joke. But if they, if he, if they, if if they embraced what it was, Michael Sear would be a great element to throw in there. <laughs> As a him, villain. And have him be really good at driving and stuff. Yeah, it would be so great. But that's the thing. And then it's, all, it's films, all about getting to a point where The Rock can punch him. Have 
thoroughly exited being about driving. No, it's all about driving. No, it's it not. is, Isaac. It's not. It's and it driving been, to save the world. It could have been about driving. In Abu Dhabi or whatever. The first one was about driving. And yeah. to an extent, the second one was technically about driving. Yeah. Because they were like drug runners. In They're still Miami. doing driving stuff, but now you just got like drive through buildings as they're collapsing with guns. I, I mean, if, I'm going to drive this gun. Driving guns, driving a bomb, yeah, into a gun, but driving it in space. Where a series starts with street racing, and you logically, if a series started with street racing, you're like, okay, cool. They're just going to do different types of racing, yeah, and solve mysteries at the same time. Cool. Somebody assassinated F1 drivers, and now we've got to pretend to be F1 drivers. Yeah, they've that never sort of really shit. done something that complex form- as that a plot. That's, that sounds the idea of a mystery is is quite is, is sort of beyond them. But like that, that's what the first one was. It was yeah. a mystery, and he had to join this street racing underground area group to <laughs> to find out who was stealing all of this DVDs and these yeah, like DVD VCR players. players and shit. Yeah, which was a big deal back in those oh, days. Oh man. Not everyone had one, <laughs> and every and there's a better picture quality. Two thousand one was a big deal. Imagine watching a film, and at the end, you don't have to rewind it. <laughs> you just Im- go back to the main. Imagine menu. watching a film, and you don't have to press fast forward ever. You can just press one button, and it skips the scene you don't like. You know, I have a very real memory of one of the fir- when we first got a DVD player, and one of the first DVDs we rented. Oh, nice. Was Cats and Dogs. Oh, fuck Remember yeah. that one? Yes. And I remember we all sat down and watched it in the evening. Jeff Goldblum's in that movie. I don't know why my parents were watching this. We watched it as a family. It's a family film. But, well, I, don't, I see for, like, we, we would also watch, <laughs> like, we also would watch The Matrix and, like, Deep Impact and stuff. Both also family films. Those are family films. <laughs> Looking back for, like, Cats and Dogs, that's a children's film. But it's it's a family movie because it's before they were putting in fun jokes for parents and stuff. It's just kind of pre Shrek. It is just pre Shrek. Anyway, I remember we watched it the one night. And then I got up the next morning, obviously doing my sneaky rewatch. I was like, oh, I just want to watch the end. And I remember going to the scene selection to select the end of Cats and Dogs and thinking, <laughs> this is brilliant. I love. I can't believe how great DVDs are. Going to that menu and there's scene selection. You can just scroll through. Mm-hmm. That's just cool. We don't get that in streaming services. Well, no, it's a thing of the past now. You yeah. can't you can't skip scenes in a streaming service. You just got to click randomly on that bar. I know, that's fucked see what up. you get. And like a lot of the DVD releases had names for the scenes, like chapters in a book. Yeah. And someone <laughs> sat there and thought about what each scene what would, would you, be named. What would you call this? Like your drama school. You're yeah. Like, what's the motivation here? Like the cool movies had names for them. I thought it was just like chapter one or chapter two. Yeah. Like, yo, you guys suck. Yeah. Well, if you put a name after that and just mm. title it something. Want, and all these stuff like Kevin's Surprise. And yeah. The Party. Exactly. And and they sound like you're you're getting knowledge from this film. Because yeah. these chapters have titles. Yeah. One of them's just called The Twist. And there's, like, incidentally, that happens, like, just at the end of the second act. Yeah. Leading into yeah. the final part of the film. Yeah. Oh, DVDs. A thing of the past. So we're back. Here on Craigslist. Oh, oh, yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Exceptional (laughs) Thieves. This is a podcast where Isaac and I review and rewrite movies. I'm Sam. And I am Isaac. And this is the either 36th or 53rd episode 
of Craigslist. It's a long time. Depending on how you this is this is the 53rd episode of Craigslist that we are recording our special <laughs> limited series. Oh, limited series. That's a limited series sound effect that I've <laughs> that I keyed up. It's definitely not just you getting a text. Uh, where we are watching and reviewing the entire filmography of the one and only Britain's best actor, Sir Lord Daniel Craig. Yes. In the lead up to No Time to Die. Exactly. His fifth and final Bond movie. Which is very soon. And we're doing it for no reason. Just because, you know, we're massive Craigistadors. As I imagine you all are for listening, welcome. If you've been enjoying the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Exceptional Pod on Instagram at Exceptional Thieves. The Instagram has been going gangbusters lately. There's some great photos up there. I had a Valentine's Day post. There's one where Daniel Craig is photobombing Taylor Swift. Get on there for some sweet Craigton. You can also send us an email at exceptionalthieves at gmail.com. And if you would like to get access to all of our bonus episodes, I have been releasing some of them on the main feed, but there's at least, I think, like... 12 or 13 more bonus episodes only available on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash exceptional thieves. And I'm not going to, I won't lie to you, you're coming in quite late in the piece. (laughs) Because this is technically, this is really the last thing. This is the last thing we have to do, um, or the last thing we're able to do. Yes. Before we get to watch a movie. No time. So I'm assuming that we've been unsuccessful in acquiring. Episode 1, Series 7 of Boone. Correct. Oh, like a firefighter investigation drama thing, I really? think. I don't know. I thought it, it just sounded to me like just another police drama. Daniel Craig's in that one episode, and I think it's the only piece of Craigtent that we can't get. Still outstanding. Unless I spend like $100 don't. on the entire Boone collection, <laughs> and it's like a 10-disc thing. I don't don't think we need it that much. Because then I've got to try and resell it. We should ask the patrons. We should ask the patrons. If you want to send us the entire Boone collection. If anyone has access to Season 7, Episode 1 of Boone. Of Boone. If you can access Acorn streaming service in America or Britain, I think you can get it. Or if you have the DVD, pop it in the post. Slide into our DMs. And uh, I'll I'll appreciate that, but notwithstanding that, what are we, we doing have one BBC TV series from 1992 that I somehow missed in all my other research, and that's why it ended up being the last thing we're doing. Yep, it's called um, Anglo-Saxon Attitudes. It stars many people that are not Daniel Craig. Yeah, and features him for. A very small amount of time in the 230 minutes worth of... 230 minutes. Now, before we get too far into it, there's a few other things we have we should cover off. Okay. We should cover off, actually, one thing I saw today. Mm-hmm. People of their um, suggestions for casting new Marvel characters into the MCU. Okay. I saw somebody had voted for Daniel Craig to be Magneto. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard of this. I would definitely watch a DC you Magneto. You think so? Fuck yeah. He's awesome and Nazi adjacent. Once again, Nazi we get adjacent. to be Nazi adjacent <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a running theme. For and DC work. loves being Nazi mm. adjacent. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he's too... Good? Physical. 
So is Magneto. To be just stuck in a wheelchair the whole time. Magneto's not the wheelchair guy. Magneto's the metal power oh, guy. I'm, I'm, the villain. Yeah, sorry. Mm, we are. No, I don't know about that. I oh, do. yeah, definitely Nazi adjacent. No, he's not Nazi adjacent. He's, he's Nazi he's, opposed. Yeah, but adjacent. I mean, he was only, around. Them. Only like in terms of linear time, <laughs> yes. not in terms of <laughs> moral framework. But so yeah, I, um, I can picture it, and I would love it. And DC, I know you're listening, and I'm sorry we've been away for so long. But yeah, that's your own fault for not doing more things. But also, yeah, bring more stuff out. Join the MCU. I know they've talked to you. Yeah, I'll, obviously, pe- people have reached out. Kevin yeah, Feige is not an idiot. I feel like it's too obvious. It's not too obvious. The obvious is Captain Britain. That's the obvious one. I've, I've, that, that feels more organic to me. It also Britain. feels very obvious. Yeah. Because he's perfect. For I also don't think he'll do anything. I know. If he ends up... I, I, he might. I would be very genuinely surprised if Daniel Craig signs on to anything superhero related. And he could... You could get him in a weird DC thing. Yeah. But you that'd know, be boring. Or like the like, Sony-verse. Like, I can imagine him <laughs> pitching up as the you know, like the baddie in Birds of Prey. You know, one of those little roles where he gets to sort of do his Logan Lucky thing. And he doesn't know he doesn't have to be there for 10 years. <laughs> and he, he'd probably be like, look, if I do this one little role, then they can't ask me to do anything well, else. So I'll get them off my back for the rest of the time. You could see him joining a Suicide Squad as part of a massive ensemble cast. Yeah. So he gets a tiny role. That yeah. doesn't mean anything for a story. He yeah. just gets to be a part of it. Yeah. Hey, speaking of tiny roles that don't mean anything for the story, he just gets to be a part of it. That was the other great piece of Craig turned we've had, which is the the BBC's Christmas Cinderella pantomime. <laughs> did you watch that? No. Well, I did. And uh, it's available on B-Flix. Oh, God. And um, it's only an hour long. And Daniel <laughs> plays um, Wheezy Jeff, which is... <laughs> Um, check out our Instagram for a picture of him playing Wheezy Jeff and so he has a big horse mask on the whole time nice and doesn't say anything and then eventually at the end he he rips it off and is like annoyed that he didn't get a line or something it's quite funny and um, at some point Olivia Coleman is the fairy godmother or whatever (laughs) and she's at one point she's like oh I hope there's no one famous under that mask that'd be a real waste of a cameo great stuff so where do you think we should rank it? Daniel Craig's performance as Wheezy Jeff. Well, how did he? How was the delivery of his lines? Pretty where good. He didn't get them. He put a. And he, how is he at playing a horse? Pretty good. He, he did lots of head movements. Like he yeah. was doing as much with it as he could. Did whilst he do not any being noises? To, um, I think he did a, some noises. But were there any whinnies, or were they mostly like harumphs? If I'm honest, it was probably mostly harumphs. Okay. But, I mean, looking at the, the list, well, as people may or may not know, <laughs> we're not scoring all of Daniel Craig's performances out of 10 or anything. Oh, we, as would be probably smart and as, a better way to do this. That would be a stupid way to do it. We're creating an <laughs> overall ranking of all Daniel Craig's performances from best to worst. So, just quickly, the, uh, the Cinderella pantomime, it's better than Saint X. Okay. It's better than Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, you, you've got Olivia Coleman. You do. You have TV's you've got Olivia Coleman. The short Tom from Parts of the Caribbean. His last name I forget. The short the, Tom. Yeah, he's called Tom something. He's the baddie. He says it's just good business, and then he walks down the oh, staircase. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, he's in it. Oh, who's he playing? Um, I th- the oh, evil I th- stepmother. No, he's, like, he's the perfect evil stepmother. 
Anya Taylor-Joy as Cinderella. That's awesome. So it's awesome. an all-star cast. It's better. So I would put this. This is a wit. It feels weird doing this on my own. It's above Sylvia. <laughs> 22nd in the list. There's, there's a good in-joke for anyone coming. <laughs> Sylvia's 33rd. <laughs> On our Jeez, list too much stuff. of 65 Daniel Craig performances that we've ranked. Where am I going to put this? Just think it in your head, Sam. Don't say it all out loud. It's not It's not good podcasting, but you can cut out the pause. Ding, ding, ding. Like the music at the back of the... Who wants to be a millionaire while you're thinking of your answer? Lock it in. Number 42. I'm going to put it just above the rover. So it's 24th. <laughs> I'm happy with that. I'm fucking happy with it. It's also a theatre performance, technically. It's another theatre performance. I. It's also th- very small. I'm very sad that we can't see his performance with Huge Jacked Man. Yes. Two-man play, Daniel Craig and Huge Jacked Man. Would be good. And I think, I think that was Mike Nichols. He'd at least get more than three lines. Interesting thing, the only other interesting thing about the Cinderella pantomime uh-huh. in which Daniel Craig played Weezy Jeff is the prince is played by, I'm going to say this wrong, Regé Jean Page, Page. It's one of the, it's got lots of apostrophes above all the letters, so mm-hmm. it's a kind of French. He's a British Zimbabwean actor who's the main guy in Bridgerton. Ah. Are you familiar with Bridgerton? It's a very popular show it of is. late. It's very popular. I'm not going to watch it. But <laughs> since he's been in that over the last few weeks, he has it has sparked a lot of James Bond rumors. He would be a very good James Bond. So I have been forced yeah. to watch that show. Don't. But he You would, watched Bridgerton? Ashley was watching Bridgerton. So I was there. What's it like? It's not good. No? Like it's nothing special. I don't know why everyone loves it. Yeah. It's like Gossip Girl, but it could have been better. It's kind of like Gossip Girl meets The Crown. It is like Gossip Girl meets The Crown, but without the uh, over-the-top drama of The Crown where things, stakes get high for no reason, mm-hmm. and without the fun and frivolity of Gossip Girl. Okay. It's somewhere in between. Okay, so it's sort of it's sort of dour and low stakes. Yes. But everyone's just super hot in it. Apparently. <laughs> that's, that's the vibe But it does have that girl from Dairy Girls in it, and she's fantastic. Oh, yeah, I saw her on the trailer. I was like, yeah. oh, that could make me watch it. She's so cool. And she's in it, which is awesome. Ah. Oh. But on the subject of things that Daniel Craig's in very little. Put her in for nine. For n- <laughs> she'd make a great for nine villain. Yeah. <laughs> Just her in like a like a VW Beetle with the whole souped up. <laughs> yeah. Just Massive. doing big jumps and stuff. <laughs> no, she'd drive a monster truck, I reckon. Yeah. 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 Have or they have done monster have trucks. Her, but I want her to replace um Chris Hemsworth's wife as um, Elsa as like The Rock's sidekick. You know how The Rock has a sidekick in several of them, and that's oh yeah. What's her name? Elsa, Chris Hemsworth's wife. Is that Chris Hemsworth's wife? Yeah, yeah, and wow. she's awesome. But I want Dairy Girl to yes. play <laughs> The Rock's sidekick, who is like a detective with him. She would work great with The Rock. <laughs> she's got that so kind good. of Rebel Wilson energy, or Rebel Wilson. Would Jason be great Statham's long lost daughter. Yes. That'd be cool too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Yeah, even though she's probably the same age as that girl who played his sister in Hobbs and Shaw. 
and they're like 30 years different. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. A couple of little bits of Craig Tint going around. Um, I found that podcast he's on, which is quite exciting. Yeah. I can't believe I hadn't found that before. How many episodes of a podcast does he do? One. He's interviewed. He's on the Nerdist podcast back in like 2016, I think, when Spectre came out. Mm -hmm. And he, it's just really interesting to hear him talk for an hour in a very kind of relaxed context situation you know because he doesn't particularly like doing press but my theory that he'd be great on podcast was absolutely right well i don't think a podcast is really it wouldn't feel like press no because you're just having a conversation there's no one around telling you what to do what to say yeah you'd, you'd plug your movie a little bit he literally says in it i like this kind of informal conversational setting where i don't even have to really talk about the film nice daniel Come on the pod. <laughs> Where I don't have to talk about the film. The film being Spectre <laughs> comes out October 31st. <laughs> yeah. Daniel, come on here. We won't talk. We'll, well, we'll talk about all of them. We won't talk about a single one. We will talk about something superfluous and stupid like like a TV series that we didn't see. He we'll did. talk to him about Boone. Yeah. And his experiences on the set of Boone. <laughs> We'd really like to drill down on Boone. <laughs> What did what, you? What was it like on set? How was that? For Boone you, for himself, you? good bloke. What do you reckon? <laughs> Were you Boone? Is that is that what Boone? the show? We'll be was honest, about? we haven't seen it. Every episode was just a different person plays Boone. Is it about, is it about people just getting different like rewards and stuff? Like ah, a boon for you. The Twilight yeah. Boone was my favorite episode, and it was like on an airplane, and there was something on the wing. There's something on the wing. What? What? No, you've lost me on that one. <laughs> It did worry me though because he he does say at one point there like he likes like he loves conversation and he and he you know he likes if you know if it's he loves talking to people if it's sort of you know kind of intelligent but when it gets silly he says I kind of shut off a bit he would like, not oh, enjoy spending time with us damn that or... almost makes it sound like he hasn't listened to us well how recent was this podcast four or five years ago no things have changed yeah things have definitely changed. Yeah. I think we've turned yeah. him around. He also swears a fair amount. And he, he, he makes a lot of jokes, so... Yeah? Yeah, I think... Does he I, get silly? I th- I thought he was quite silly at points. Nice. In, in, just the, in just the kind of charming, effortless way that we are, He's, Isaac. Exactly. We don't you know? force anything. Yeah. Nothing has um, ever been forced. He also says that he likes Independence Day. Resurgence or the first one? The first one. Thank fuck. I don't think Resurgence had come out when he was doing this, <laughs> but he was just sort of saying how much he liked Independence Day. And he also said that, you know, the infamous speedboat life jacket situation. I do. He, I like that he says how much he hated the haircut he had when he did that. And I'd thought, I've thought that every time I look at that, I'm like, that's terrible hair. It's like he had a terrible haircut and it was re- he had to really work really hard not to smile. Because you're Cause he's having, you're having so much fun yeah. out on this speedboat with like Royal Marines, and he's just grinning ear to ear the whole time. You're like, no, James Bond doesn't smile like that. Were the Royal Marines also wearing life jackets? Yeah. Well, then it's cool. The fact that he was wearing one is fine. The press did if not actual think Marines that. were wearing life jackets, Bond is perfectly entitled to wear a life jacket. Well, that is not what the British public thought for weeks <laughs> following that event, and there's, I think there's still hate sites to this day still available. Where Daniel Craig is not James Bond. <laughs> Some people have never moved on. Mm-hmm. Those people are idiots because he yeah. is James Bond. He he very much is. You know who else he is? Are you trying to bring us onto the... Yep. I've got more to go through here. I don't. There's a couple of other <laughs> things I want to bring up. There's a... 
I'm going to keep trying to bring it through. There's a Twitter account yep. called at Craig Weekend. Okay. Is it just on the weekends they post? Yeah, they just post every Friday. Okay, cool. And um, it's a, there's a very famous clip of Daniel Craig from when he was on Saturday Night Live. Oh, René Jean Pagier Jean and Jean, mm-hmm. um, he's hosting SNL in a couple of weeks. <laughs> All on the pathway to being Dude, Bond. I think he's perfect. He's, he's the right age. He's the right age for a younger Bond. Yep. He's physically perfect yep. for a younger Bond. Yep. He's black, so he's going to capture a lot of that Idris Elba energy he's people are British. excited about. He's very British. It's perfect. He's the whole package. Anyway, um, this is a, when Daniel Craig was on SNL, the musical guest was The Weeknd. Mm-hmm. And so there's this very famous sort of meme gif, essentially, of Daniel Craig doing this. Is it a dance move? Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. (laughs) Do they post that every Friday? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so this account has been up since August of last year, just posting that every every Friday. Friday. (laughs) So every Friday you get to have Daniel Craig say... Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. That's perfect. And they didn't get a lot of traction for a long time, but in the last few weeks they've posted it. It's gotten eighty thousand, ninety nine thousand, <laughs> hundred and fifteen thousand, hundred and eighty thousand likes. Um, two hundred thousand on the last one. That's so great. That's some great Craigton right there. <laughs> and if you are on Twitter during the Super Bowl. That w- that just happened, where the weekend were the musical act. Okay, it was everyone just tweeting, "This is going to be shit unless Daniel Craig comes out to introduce <laughs> the weekend," because everyone just associates him with the weekend so intensely. Like this isn't the Super Bowl unless Daniel Craig walks out there and goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend." <laughs> that little flow. the little arm movement. Like I, I get why it's struck a chord with so many That's people. So like great. he seems like he really likes the weekend. <laughs> like what can you say? You know the weekend. The week. You, you know what I mean? In like on a real note. <laughs> oh. Dudes and dames. They don't have the e the in weekend. their name, do they? Is that them? The weekend. The wi- they're, they're the weekend. Oh, the weekend. I thought I thought those two e's were moved were removed. All the e's. All the E's were removed from weekend, so it's weekend. Wookend. Wookened. 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 We just have a thing about E's. Sorry, Daniel. I know you don't like people being silly. We're going to stop that. Or Daniel, because as we call you. You know what we're talking about tonight? Am I bringing it around yet? Nah, it's okay. No, no, not quite. Not quite. That's fine. Not quite. <laughs> um, There's a book of poetry. <laughs> God, Jesus. What? Has he submitted so, poems for a book? This is something else I found. <laughs> there's, um, and I don't even know why I'm bringing this up, but um, there's a book called The Poetry of Sex, um, which is like published by Penguin. Okay. And it's just an anthology of sex related poetry. Poetry. Yeah. And how does this erotic have anything poetry? to do with Daniel Craig? Well, Isaac, if you think there's going to be a whole book of erotic poetry and Daniel Craig's never going to come up, you're living in a fantasy land, mate. 
What do they say? There's two poems. Oh my god! About Daniel Craig. Are they by the same author? In no, by two different people. <laughs> in this book, <laughs> um, published by Penguin, and it's like, I'm terrified. How many pages is it? The poems. No, the the book. <laughs> the book is 300 pages long. Oh my god! It's a whole. It's a proper thing, and it includes poems. By like Saint Vincent Millay, um, Sylvia W. A. Jordan, you know, proper, proper poets. <laughs> and I discovered that there were Daniel Craig related poems in this book, and I was like, "Well, I've got to get into that." That's a bit of Craigton. Then th- this is the introduction. This is the first line of the introduction to this book. Okay. There are two poems in this book about the actor Daniel Craig. <laughs> And none about any other Hollywood star. <laughs> this is a real book. While the situation with regard to rock and pop legends is a little more equitable, with Mick Jagger and David Cassidy cropping up in one poem each, it is impossible to deny that on the actor front, this anthology is heavily biased in favour of Daniel Craig over and above all others. <laughs> I draw readers' attention to this. Fe- this is the introduction. I draw readers' attention to this feature of the book because I wouldn't want anyone to imagine I'm unaware of it. <laughs> Editors of poetry anthologies, like the judges of literary prizes, are often criticised for perceived imbalances of this sort. As a committed positive discrimination enthusiast, when I saw that a weighting in favour of Daniel Craig was a risk, I tried to redress the imbalance by introducing an all-Tom Cruise shortlisting policy, but then had to abandon it when I found not a single poem about Tom, about Tom Cruise, which suggests that the teaching of, creating writing, of creative writing has been woefully inadequate for the last 20 years, or however long it's been since Risky Business came out. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so there's two poems about Daniel Craig. I'm not sure I want to read them out. Uh, is one of them short? Uh, yeah, it's very... Do you have a favourite? So one of them is by a woman who, and in the poem she is relating a dream she has where she is cheating on her husband with Daniel Craig. Um, I mean, this play, like... The sexual attractiveness of Daniel Craig has been like a foundation stone of many of his roles throughout his career. And that is the seems to be the entire reason he's in this book of sex poetry. <laughs> he's the sexiest man in the world. Oh, um He's never been voted the sexiest man in the world. Well, no, they don't put him in the list they don't put him in the competition because it's not fair to everyone oh, else. Okay. Has he been in that list though? Um I, I don't know, actually. I'll he must be. But yeah, if you want to read one, you go for your life. Because there's some attitudes we have to talk about soon. Yeah. The last line of that one is, I don't even like Daniel Craig. I tell the ceiling. <laughs> I, I don't I don't love him. And the other one is about a guy who's just being very turned on by his screensaver of Daniel Craig. Why does he have a screensaver of Daniel Craig? Well, I presume he's a Craig Keistador, but on a slightly more sexual level than we are. The poem is entitled Daniel Craig, colon, The Screensaver. And I invite people to look these up, but I don't... Maybe, maybe we'll post them. 
But I don't think computer screensavers are a particularly good source for evocative poetry. No. But anyway. Here's a um, uh, post from December 2006. Um, Daniel Craig has voted the world's sexiest man. Hey, hey! He topped a poll conducted by the condom maker Jurex after showing off his toned <laughs> muscles in his first outing as James Bond. Uh, Thanks, Jurex. He beat Clive Owen. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, if Roger Jean-Jean-Paul wins Sexiest Man in the World, then then it's a given that he's going to be In the Bond. same year, the top ten ended with Pierce Brosnan. So when huh. Daniel Craig became Bond, yep. he was the first. He was the number one world yep. sexist man. And Pierce number number was 10 was P.S. Brosnan, <sighs> who was no longer Bond. Wow, yeah. Still had a very hairy chest, though. Yeah, sure. Robbie Williams is in the list. Fuck I think so much, of, I, so much of that sort of competition, though, is, is just about novelty. Definitely. You burst onto the scene, you're the sexiest man in the world for a while, and then everyone gets used to you, and they're looking for the new... The new interesting Rana Jaja Pajaja. I think Rana Jaja Pajaja, partly, part, he, you can really see him having all of the different aspects of Bond. I don't think um, that's how you pronounce his name. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with how I'm doing it, though. Okay, cool. I mean, it, it's respectful, right? Uh, yeah. Is it Rene? Yeah. Rene Jean Paget would be the, like the phonetic. English. Page. No, I think it's actually page? just page. Page? All right. Well, anyway. Page, yes. Paja. No, it's just page. Pajoir. René Jean Page. Page? Isn't there a little apostrophe? I think I think you just What does that mean? Page. We're not linguistics professors. Actually, I think it's not, it's not René. It's a reg. Like oh, re- reggae. Reggae. Reggae Jean Page. We should stop because it's just... I'm it's, having a great it's time. It's actually though. getting worse. It's a cool name. Reg. And he could definitely be Bond. Yeah. I'm seeing it. Just... And he's different to Craig. He's he's you can see him having more fun. More fun, more comedy to him. Yeah. I think he can do wide comedy eyes, but still have us he, so he'd have more ro- more more. More Roger Moore. Yeah, he'd have awesome one liners. Yeah. Like awesome, like cool off. Mm. But still the... very physically imposing. Yeah. We'll be able to step up to the kind of physicality Daniel Craig has introduced to the role. But Dude. it may but probably a lighter and less gritty touch because we're all a bit tired of that. And then he'd love press. Look at that smile. Oh. That's a press loving smile. That's a oh it's a it's a smile of a king. That's a that that is a winning smile. That is a winning mm-hmm. that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a smile of a man who that knows his smile he's won. has won him something. Yeah. At some point. Do you think people like that, before they get Bridgerton? Are they living their whole life to be like, just give it time. Any minute now, <laughs> people are going to realize that I am who I am. And I've then, seen my smile. I mean, for God's sake, just look at me. Or are they walking around thinking they're a normal person? I think before they suddenly do, they realize. Before they do Bridgerton or something like that, yeah. they're in season seven, episode one of Boone. Yeah. As a cadaver. And just doing like eight things where they just do well, yeah, tiny he's little done things. Barely anything. He's and in, then... He was in the Roots remake. I'm not sure how big his role was, but apart from that, it's a whole load of... He's um, uncredited wedding guest in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Nice! That's so cool. <laughs> I'm going to have to rewatch it again so yeah. I can see him. Look out for Reg. 
Anyway, I, if he ends up being Bond, it's going to be great <laughs> that he and the previous Bond both first starred in the Cinderella pantomime on the BBC. Together. All right. Can we talk about All right. something terrible for a yeah. while? See, I don't think we should rush because now we're transitioning from stuff that people might know about to something no one knows about. Yep. We're going to talk about a show that does not star Daniel Craig. It just features no. him laughing terribly. Even though he's featured very prominently on the DVD box. Yep, he is on the side of one of them. Yeah. And it's, incidentally, the disc that is on less than, it, than the first disc. As if to imply that he is one half of the narrative yeah. of this story. But so, he is not. All right. Let's... Okay, so it's Anglo-Saxon Attitudes, right? It's That's based on a book. Now. It's based on a book by Angus Wilson. If you're going to read it, I would prefer that you didn't. Because well, I think the book might be quite good. You reckon? Because this yes. was fucking shit. So Isaac, <laughs> Anglo-Saxon attitudes, three-episode series from 1992, based mm-hmm. on the satirical novel by Angus Wilson, published in 1956. Oh, satirical! Wow. Did you like Anglo-Saxon? No. Did you like Anglo-Saxon attitudes? It's no. okay to say no. Sam. No, I didn't. <laughs> It's not good. It's not at good, all. is it? It's not good, is it? It's so bad, actually. It's just. Fuck. It's worse than I th- I thought it was going to be. One of the worst things about it for me is <laughs> the opening theme that a show has. You know how a show has an opening theme, even even small just three like part music, series has an opening yeah. theme. The opening theme for this is like five minutes long. No words. No. It's just music of these dudes digging up a thing and finding a dick. A, wood, a wooden carving of a dick. Yeah. And that's that's the opening theme. And it means nothing. Yeah. It really means nothing for the story. It doesn't explain anything that you don't get in like very small amounts in the story. Mm. And you could get more. Yeah. You should get more. Yeah. It's fu- it's, it's See, shit. I, from what I've read, <laughs> I, I can... Partly because I'm kind of into stories in this kind of style and time period. Kind of like... Which kind time of like, period? Like, like inter- interwar, basically. Okay, yeah. And um, like I'm a big Evelyn War fan who wrote the novels that um, Sword of Honor were based on. Yes. Right? And we didn't mind Sword of Honor. We did not. Despite its flaws. It, they can see that, and I, it could have been great. And knowing the novels it's based on, I'm, I, it's a kind of sort of British novel that is funny whilst nothing particularly like dramatic or overt is happening it still feels epic and the main character can be a kind of drab and unimpressive person without much agency but them being them moving through the machinations of systems and the society they're in at the time is fun and engaging if you're into that kind of thing so watching this i could kind of extrapolate back to what i imagine the novel might be like and imagine that it is good i think this is just a real failure of it's not a failure of acting it's a failure of direct i think it's a failure of directing and editing and pacing and i think also transposing from a book to a film if the book is good the story they tell in this is told very poorly yeah to to making an interesting film and i think i can see the master storyteller andrew davies here that guy's an idiot. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not familiar with Andrew Davies. It was work. adapted for the screen. 
Also, who did Kate Winslet play in this? I didn't see Kate Winslet. No. In episode three, uh-huh. she's the girl at the party with the boy. They're like both teenagers. I don't know who they are or why they're there, and they never come back. But they're but just like, that party scene. They're sort of watching the older people have a party and sort of commenting on how sort of empty and superficial their interactions are. That's Kate Winslet. Yay for Kate. It's one of her first... It's adorable. She's got like a real baby face. It's one of her first screen roles. It's not her first. It's just in one of her. Yeah. And then her and Daniel were back together like one or two years later for King King Arthur's Court. Which is a much better film. King Arthur's Court. Really? Yep. Okay. I have here the summary of the novel. Yep. That's that's basically this, which is basically the same thing. So I might I might read that, and then people have a then we don't have to lay it all out for people because yeah. we don't have to talk about this for that long, do we? We don't because it's shit. Well, we- well, <laughs> that that's not the reason why, because that means there's so much work to do to figure out how it would be good. <clears throat> Gerald Middleton is a sixty-year-old self-proclaimed failure. Worse than that, he's a failure with a conscience. As a young man, he was involved in an archaeological dig that, that Daniel Craig was at that turned up an obscene <laughs> idol in the coffin of a 7th century bishop and scandalised a generation. Would have been good to see that. The discovery was, in fact, the most outrageous archaeological hoax of the century. Would have been good to feel those stakes at some point. And Gerald has long known who was responsible and why. But to reveal the truth is to risk destroying the world of cosy compromises that, personally as well as professionally, he has long made his own. Would have been good to feel that as well. One, one of England's first openly gay novelists, Angle, Angus, Angle, Angus Wilson, was a dirty realist who relished the sleaze and scuffle of daily life. Would have been good to see or experience that. Slashingly satirical, virtuosically plotted, and displaying Dickensian humour and nerve. <laughs> Anglo-Saxon Attitudes features a vivid cast of characters that includes scheming academics and fading act- actresses, big businessmen toggling between mistresses and wives, could use a toggling, media celebrities, hustlers, transvestites, blackmailers, toadies, and even one holy fool. Everyone, it seems, is either in cahoots or in the dark, even as comically intrepid Gerald Middleton struggles to maintain subdignity while digging up a history of lies. Now, the idea of the protagonist being comically intrepid, I think, really doesn't come across. I think comic at all doesn't come across. Oh, when I was when I figured out that the novel is is meant to be funny. Mm. I think that's been completely lost yeah, in this definitely. adaptation. I, I like that it's it's a darkly comic, take no prisoners satire. I have no idea. Old Inga, the German or Danish wife, old wife, old woman. She's moderately funny yeah, based on her performance. Moments, but everyone else shits on her for the whole thing. Yeah, and her microphone is so much louder than everyone else's for the entire thing as well. <laughs> it just hurts. So Gerald. When he was younger, even his his he his he there was a dig, it was an archaeological dig, and there On was a some bishop, guy's backyard. And then it was a big deal because there was a little carved idol in there, presumably from some like foreign land, and it's a fertility idol. So it's a really big deal that the bishop is holding a wooden carving of a little man with a giant dick. Mm-hmm. 
We zoom in on this a lot. It's a big. It's a whole. It's a whole big yeah. thing. This is that, uh, that 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 sequence is the opening theme for each three, each of the three episodes. Yeah, we it's return five minutes of them going through mud. We return to that dick. a lot. They hold up the statue of the big dick every time, like it's the Holy Grail. Yeah, or that's something. the weirdest thing, right? You pull it out, and then he just everyone puts there, it to the sky. Everyone there seems to be having like a religious experience, like this has vindicated something for them. <laughs> but actually, it's just it's like it's meant to be scandalous. Yeah. The, the the culture of the historians in the story and the historical society is not developed enough at all. I don't think anything is developed enough that, at all. Not even the family relationships. They need to establish that this archaeological dig, there are significant like cultural and emotional stakes to its result. Like, why does this dig matter? Because we don't care as the audience, it's just some random bishop holding a dick carving. But that, this is meant to, it's meant to scandalize a generation, apparently. And that isn't really... I infer that from what's going on. But part of it is Gerald, who's young then, but old throughout most of the story, just having flashbacks, is just a completely sort of passive, neutral person the whole time. Yep. And he's been kind of passive and neutral and shitty his whole life. He falls in love with Dolly who's Daniel Craig's fiance back at the dig times. Yeah. Daniel Craig tells him in the bar that he hid he inserted the dick statue <laughs> nice. into the grave. Somehow it's never explained how he did that. Um I think it's he dug it up the day before cuz they knew that the grave was there, so he went down the night before with his mate and just shoved this thing inside it. Right. And then put well, the lid back know, on. Show that they don't Tell show me that more about his like his motivation. I'm not sure why he did it. No, I guess it just he has hated him his fucking dad do that or something. Terrible laugh every time he, it comes up. There's yeah, Daniel Craig laughs maniacally. They have a few shots of Daniel Craig saying certain lines that are repeated four or five times. It feels like throughout mm. this incredibly long series, three episodes. They're all like an hour twenty. Mm-hmm. It's so long. <laughs> this is this is two hours. At the most. Yep, but they didn't Probably. cut anything out of the book except all of the good stuff. Yeah, they didn't. They left that sex in, though. Yeah, that. I am. But they left the sex in. Yeah, they did. So Gerald has an affair with Dolly, and then she hates Daniel Craig because he's an absolute bastard, as far as we can tell. And then and he, he hates her, too. And he, he hates her, too. There's so that, absolute... there's no reason for them to get married. No. And then he goes off and dies in the war... Yet yep. she still doesn't choose to be with Gerald. No, because she has like mental health issues and develops sort of alcoholism and kind of d- doesn't want to allow herself to be happy and feels tremendous guilt about Daniel Craig, about how she Wished wanted him to die, die and then he did die. And so she, rather than being with Gerald, just sort of spins off into her own sort of private hell. And then Gerald, for reasons that are never explained, marries a weird Danish lady with whom he seems to have absolutely no affinity at any point. No chemistry, and even once they're married, there is no closeness and they're just, at all. And they're, like, they're estranged from the start of, of their, their relationship. They can't. She can't have sex. It's made made known that she does not like that. Yeah, there's because they, they show many things of him, of him having this sort of amazing torrid you know rich affair with dolly and they are just completely in accord Uh physically and emotionally and intellectually but that's the story 
that we don't get to see. Yes. Because I don't understand why they didn't, why he doesn't, he never says anything to her in any of these weird flashbacks that they do over. They keep flashing back to the same scene a lot. <laughs> they, you just keep like either, and either he has that memory. And there's like one so line different. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think the main I think the narrator is just has dementia or something, and so I don't understand why him and her are not together. And then what? See him being married to this Inga. Inga is she German? I think it's German. Let's say German. Yeah. Sl- sort of Slavic. This a European. She's she's of the Europe. She's uh, she's from the continent. <laughs> he marries this continental woman. <laughs> she's from the mainland. She's from the mainland. <laughs> and we have nothing to do with them now. Um she's from the continent and she's really weird and a kind of drab passive englishman being married to this kind of eccentric extroverted woman but also can be quite, could be quite funny it could be yes you know she's the one thing that's kind of funny but it's this. not it's not brought up at all because but her life is super fucking depressing the fact it's so bizarre that he would be in that relationship at all because you know it's that's a storyline that I always have a lot of time for is people who, you know, just you just make a few wrong choices along the way and you end up in a life that you never really liked and then suddenly like realizing that at a certain point and trying to make changes and you know sort of Walter Mitty your way out of it. Mm. But it's not made clear why it like it's absurd that he would have married her from what we see in yes, this. Yes, and also he rushes into it. So quickly, yeah. After having the chance to be with the person that he clearly knows that he's in love with and yeah. wants to be with, and is way better, and doesn't even and give that a chance. Yeah, it's just like she said no once, and he's like, "Okay, cool. Mm. This blonde chick's over here." Yeah, like he isn't shown humana, to have humana. any external pressures pushing him into this marriage. No, he just he. So it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And but none of this is even the story. This is all <laughs> just flashbacks. So the 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 general gist of what the story is supposed to be is that he is asked to become the editor of some geological mag like publication, historical, historical publication thing, mm-hmm. and he has trouble accepting said offer because he knows that the dick was a fake. Yeah, so he's lived and his so whole life. so he has to come to terms and prove to himself that he knows the dick was mm. a fake because apparently he's covered it up in his own mind too much. See, that that didn't make any sense to me either. I eventually realized that... And he's trying to work out... It's his, meant to be... His, like, my, his, like, his career is like relatively unimpressive, but what he does have is kind of built on this lie of the dick carving. Yeah. Because if that was if that's a hoax, then all of their sort of theories and findings, etc., are kind are all just a sham. Are built upon this and, this carving of, of 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 a todger. Yes, and of of a of a phallus, mm, and the so love rod. and so he kind of decides that, and he seems to decide that in sort of a last ditch effort to draw some meaning out of his life, he needs to confront this lie. And I guess I think through he, that he wants to heal his relationships 
Or that's what yeah. you would assume the story goes. Because he also has terrible relationships with all of his family. So he has yeah. three children. So that there's Inga, who's running around with like candles on her head, being all European. <laughs> and, you know, there's no malice there. No, there's no malice. They're it's just, just super estranged. It's just a vibe clash. <laughs> it's just she's lived with 40 years of being just a chronic vibe clash with the English. <laughs> that she's been surrounded by and she's just not English enough. And then there's three kids. There's, oh, there's so much to get into with the kids. There's uh, Robin, who's like a businessman mm-hmm. and like he's like a, he's a titan of industry, I guess, who has a wife that he isn't particularly fond of either and is having a, and has a, mist, has a mistress, Elvira, who Gerald ultimately fancies as well because she's like Dolly's I don't know if granddaughter she's a daughter or, niece or, or something. Niece. I think I think there's just a, a relationship there's there. There's a relationship there. And, and he she, has a weird affinity for her. Yeah. Which which kind of comes to nothing. I don't really know. It just basically he hits on her a little bit and she hits on him, but then she says, I'm sleeping. But then the she sun, gets so really upset about it. And then and yes. then she I don't know. There's no um <laughs> All of the, there's there's lots of little emotional storylines going on, and none of them have a punchline. None of them finish. There's no like none of the stories complete. Like not even his story with Dolly finishes. There's no yeah. Like what's the complication? <laughs> there is none. If you had to say it, um, I think it's the attitudes. <laughs> I, <reckon>. I think. <laughs> People just get people just have real attitude, and then yeah, then just it so just Anglo-Saxon. Like, there's the setup. <laughs> there's right? not even the setup. No, the setup is <laughs> setup is the the phallus is a hoax. He's been. I don't offered. think it's. I don't think that's it. I th- no, that's the setup for his story. The old guy's story is that he gets offered the chance to be a editor, and then he has trouble <sighs> because he thinks the phallus is a hoax. And that's the because Daniel Craig tells him Daniel it was Craig in a bar told him ten times explicitly, not yeah. long after the thing because, was revealed. He be, just laughs about it because calls Daniel his Craig, wife a bitch, <laughs> and and tells him I planted it. Oh, guess what? Dolly's a hoe, but I planted that thing. And then ha 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 ha, yeah. fucking terrible yeah. laugh. Yeah, and hey, that's what you get from Daniel Craig. It's I, not good, Daniel Craig. Hey, I think I think it's fine, Daniel Craig. It's also, not the good, tennis right? match, Daniel Craig, or he's fucking dissing his wife while she's <laughs> losing at tennis to him. Yeah, you fucking suck at tennis because yeah. I'm better than you at it. Yeah, his yeah his, his, his Daniel Craig's first line is just saying yelling bitch at his wife <laughs> when she just wins a, a round of tennis. Oh god, it's which is so... which you know, it's not good, but maybe you think okay, so that's setting him up to be some kind of villain or antagonist in this story. Oh, maybe it nope, is. Nope, he just <laughs> dies in the war off screen and she doesn't give a shit. So She's one like, thing oh, I do, dead. oh, now I'm sad. Make I can't one on. of my main notes is make it more atonementy. Mm-hmm. I'd show us some of the war. Mm-hmm. I'd have Gerald be there when he dies. Yeah. Or have Gerald be somehow involved. Like orders came through and maybe Gerald like kind of put him in harm's way a little bit. Maybe Gerald chickened out on something. Gerald and he did should not. have gone on the mission or as maybe well. Maybe he chickened out and Gerald did not. And the 
bunker they were hiding in got blown up straight away. Yeah. That would even be cool. But then, so then Gerald was the brave one, but um, Daniel Craig, whose name is Gilbert. <laughs> Gerald and Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> Old G&G out there. If It should be that Gilbert was the coward, but then he gets like a posthumous award for bravery and becomes a war hero even though he's dead and Gerald gets remembered for nothing. Mm, that'd be cool. Something like that. So I'd put a war scene in, is what I'd do. You'd put something to give some sort of attitude. Mm, yeah. Um. So that's Robin and Elvira. Then there's John. Who is a TV presenter. Yes, and kind of like a sort of political activist, I yeah. feel like is his kind of thing. Who is secretly gay. Who's secretly gay because it's the past. And he's secretly um, gay with um, an uh, Irish uh, criminal. And uh, Yeah, well, an Irish man with borderline personality disorder. Who he <laughs> basically sets up with a room in his mum's house to live so with this, his mum. So this is Larry. And Larry sucks up a lot of oxygen in this story <laughs> in a way that I didn't anticipate and or cannot what? explain. <laughs> So there's this side plot that occurs through John <laughs> where, first of all, they're just showing these guys who are all, like, very explicitly outwardly gay in yep. the way they're behaving, um, living in London. And Larry's sort of this ne'er-do-well member of them sort of hangs about and everyone is like, oh, he's, you know, don't don't bother with that guy. Meanwhile, him and John, who's like... A proper person with a job and uh, like a secretary and stuff yeah. is in a is engaged in a relationship with him and doesn't seem to twig at any point that this guy is mental and no good. <laughs> and, and and Larry, who was just like fucking everyone in sight, including like the maids at the house and, yeah. and everyone. I was surprised this wasn't Daniel Craig because Larry is much more of a Daniel Craig role <laughs> to be like the crazy sort of sex fiend, like X Factor that just is yeah. just insane and screwing with everyone. It's got a lot of love and rage energy. Larry's it does whole have thing. a lot of love. And rage. It has a lot of that one episode of the um, um, Chiller TV show. The where he's the tales from the crypt. No, the state where he stays in the people's oh, house. Oh, um, yeah, the visitor. The visitor, it's, yeah, it's basically definitely. the he could have been the visitor, yeah, and yeah. He, and you know they're both blonde anyway. Larry is crazy, and mm-hmm. he ends up staying at the family house with Inga, the Danish German mum, and and he's just like stealing her money, days. and is just and he keeps manipulating her like she'll yeah. she'll have something stolen, and then he'll be like, no, I just use that to pay for this for you, and she's like kind of infatuated with him as well, so he sort of yeah. Because she doesn't know anybody's gay. She doesn't believe in being gay. No, she doesn't even know that's an option in the world. Because no. <laughs> when she finds out later, it like it's like she's been told he's a serial killer or something. <laughs> she just like moans like a whale and yeah. just falls over. <laughs> oh god. It's oh. so weird. It's, um, I find it, I was I think it's interesting that the novel author was gay. Because mm. before I found that out. I, like that just changes how I interpret the writing of the gay characters in the story. I'm like, okay, well, 
Okay. One Fair of them enough. is very manipulative and one of them is an idiot. <laughs> yes. Like, that's how it goes. Like, one like, of them is the, a, a villain and uh, one of them is just a One of them is just person. sort of a useless fool. When people and the show third him one evidence. is also an idiot. <laughs> and there's a fourth one who's just kind of like mincy and mean <laughs> and just kind of a dick to everyone. Yeah. And I, I, don't feel like, like, I don't feel like the community is coming off particularly well and in this the, story. The culmination of Larry There's and no John, normal ones. The culmination of Larry and John's storyline is eventually, <laughs> eventually oh, yeah. it's realised by everybody so, that Larry is bad. And so they kick him yeah. out, but John can't see that. So they're still in love. And well, it ends the, with... There's a big party scene yes. in the beginning of episode three. And it goes for a long time. It's the one where Kate Winslet is there. And multiple things happen at this party. One of the things is that Larry bursts in drunk, all upset, and just like makes out with John in front of everyone. <laughs> and this is presumably like the, well, I guess the 50s because it's post war. So yes. like late 40s. Sort of upper class people, people who have influence. Yeah. But a time when you'd, gays aren't a thing as far as they're concerned yeah. in this circle. Um, they make out. And then, and then, and John is like, "Oh, I'm so sorry that you were outside or whatever. I'm going to look after you forever now. You're clearly a great person. <laughs> Let's go." And they like run away to and France. They get in a car. He decides he's going to become a fiction. He's going to start writing fiction again. <laughs> okay. Then this all, this all. Then with them like running away, Larry is on the run from the law quite explicitly as well because yep. he sees the police and he's like, oh, they're about to arrest me. And John is like, oh no, don't worry about. I'm like, John, what are you doing? Here. There's Isn't so here? there's lots of fish in the sea, mate. Why are you <laughs> investing so heavily in Larry? And you could ex- you could write a story where John does invest so heavily in Larry, but they don't explain no, it's why John would give a shit a about Larry, <laughs> apart from being an absolute fool. So, because the thing is, Gerald, the main one, yeah. he's clearly kind of a fool, or at least just very ineffectual. He's never... He's n- I think he's just shown to be um, weak of... Will... Of- will yeah, yeah. and like just, he has thoughts and he has beliefs and yeah. wants but he never acts upon anything in like a pretty sort of unattractive way like yeah, yeah sure inga not wouldn't be my favorite person to hang out with but she's a fundamentally good person and you've just screwed up her life by being married to her mm-hmm. like if you'd been honest with yourself about how you felt about the whole situation you two could have gone your separate ways instead you've sucked up all her life energy into this terrible marriage with you just because you're too spineless to you know live out the kind of life that you would actually like to be living so you'd think that he's the one we're casting judgment on Mm. And so some of these, but the thing is, everyone's reprehensible in the story, yep. pretty much. And so then I kind of had no investment in it because everyone's terrible, except kind of Dolly at yeah, the end. Yeah, except maybe Dolly in general, because she's just going through a very hard time. Which is the one kind of like good twist of the whole thing is the reveal of Dolly at the end. Yeah. And that that was the only part of the whole story that actually packed a punch for me. And like, you didn't oh, get enough of it. No, well, it was once. It was well. It, again, it one didn't really. I was still waiting. They needed like a third shoe to drop after that. That yeah. didn't. But at least a second shoe dropped at a certain point. Yes, you had to watch two hundred minutes of television to get there, of which only about one hundred and sixty were new minutes. The other forty is just flashbacks that repeat. Of Daniel Craig laughing. Daniel Craig laughing in the bar. Um, but um, in there running away, 
Larry and John. So, l- Larry is driving this car pointlessly yeah. fast. Oh, so they decide they they're running out of money. Yeah, and he's and they're like, oh, and Larry because he's a fuckwit is like, <laughs> oh, let's just sleep under the stars because he's just. 16 years old in his mind yeah he's so um, and like oh we don't need anything we'll just sleep out of the stars which they immediately do so they just sleep on the ground in the forest it immediately <laughs> rains because obviously and so now their whole life is just trashed so Larry's losing it <laughs> and just starts driving incredibly fast and dangerously the car crashes yeah which is done quite well it is quite a quite an old timey car, car is flying through the air it's like fanine style <laughs> it's like they press the nose just beforehand <laughs> all that and larry is instantly killed and you see john, of john just yelling at larry and john <laughs> loses both his legs <laughs> but we don't see anything after that See nothing after that. Like that's the no, end of that story. It just cuts to him in a wheelchair, however long later, and it just pans down to his no legs. <laughs> to show you, it just pans down to where the legs would be. See, it is funny. It's, I think that's meant to be funny. I think in the, I think in the novel. Oh, sorry. It's it. Yeah, it's darkly comic. <laughs> in the novel. That would be like a sort of a grim comic ending to these stupid people's story. But because this, it feels like you're just watching a drama. It, I think... Man, it skewers British social and academic hypocrisy to the very core. Anytime this is funny, (laughs) it feels unintentional. But I think in the novel, some of these things would be intentional. So that's John. And then there's the daughter, whose name I've forgotten... But her main thing is her hand went in the fire when she was a child and she has a sort of... And we all know that Inga put her hand in the fire. Because Inga Because pushed she her. wouldn't shut up. Yeah. Well, you know... And like if, your kids, she... if, your kids, if your kid's not shutting up and listening to you, you push that kid into a raging fireplace. Hey, I bet you shut up afterwards. Probably. After about the four weeks of screaming in agony. Yeah, true. And so her main thing is she... Her, one of her hands is is terribly injured from the fire. Yeah, um, that's darkly comic. They cut back to her. The, the they, he flashes back to her screaming after her hand going to the fire, at least about four times. Yeah, like there's more to be revealed and about Inga doing it. nothing about it. But that's all you see. You just you know from the first time that Inga obviously pushed her. Yeah. And then we get to see it a couple more times for no purpose. I wasn't sure what when you're told that storyline, it's like, you know what? I need to there needs to be kind of accounting here. I need to acknowledge I need to acknowledge that this was a hoax and I just need to start living in a more real and authentic way. He says at certain points, I've never felt more alive. You wouldn't know it from his face or any of the, any of the acting. But I think the character is, is he's, he's kind of like he's kind of like breaking bad in a way like, or breaking good out of the sort of shallow, you know, moral murkiness that is necessary to allow his sort of social strata to persist. He's trying to break out of that, find the truth which is that the little carved dick statue was put there by Daniel Craig. 
and then you know and through uncovering that truth he will be provoked to acknowledge and confront the truths about the dysfunctions within his own family and the lies that he's been living in with all of that you know yes but I have a belt on and it's touching the back of this chair there we all go right. and I fixed right. it okay it's you the mechanics of how he would go about that never seems to really come on screen like I kept being like when are you going to go to the dig side yeah like he has that one scene which is placed super weirdly like two thirds of the way through the first episode where he's up late with the daughter and he's like if I don't do this now you know if I don't set right what happened in the past I'll never be able to change now I have to do this and then you're like, yeah, here we go. And then, like, a hundred minutes later, he's on the phone to someone being like, I'm thinking about going to somewhere near the dig site, maybe next month. I'm like, what? And also, what is there for you to find out? It was made, at the end, they're like, oh, you've been a bit of a private detective. But the only information he has access to is the fact that Daniel Craig said he put it in there. And then, as is his want, and then, <laughs> and then that's it. He's just sort of arsing around the rest of the time It's yeah, with whole- a completely neutral facial expression. The fact that that guy, he won a BAFTA for this. The fact that he <laughs> never seems to express any kind of emotion until suddenly at the end there. The face he has on the cover of the DVD. That's the could, face he has in every scene. They could have just put that on a stick and held it in front yep. of the camera the whole time. And anyone could have done those lines. And at the end, he finally gets angry with his legless son and Inga there, and and but and you would expect that because what does he say there? He says, um, he says, oh, he calls her a foolish, dangerous woman, and says, oh, you always got away with it with your stupid behaviors, and you would expect that to be a kind of cathartic moment, as he finally says, as as this sort of downtrodden guy finally calls his awful family on all their bullshit. Yeah. But he is as much in the wrong as they are at every turn. And it just ends with no repaired relationships between any of them. No, and they all just turn around him and be like, how can you be this cruel and awful? And you're like, yeah, I guess. How can he be? And and really, the... This is actually this was the this is the bit of it that I did genuinely like that I that I think held real weight is that the person who actually has the emotional sort of the emotional cathartic monologue is Inga, mm-hmm. the embarrassing eccentric wife where he the he tries monstrously to give, overbearing wife the monstrously overbearing wife where he he tries to give it to her in a way that I think we're much more comfortable seeing in. Lots of, um, I think, like it's it's a movie. It's it's a trope of the sort of white middle aged man, whose family never stood up and quote unquote been a man his yeah. whole life, and he's in a job where everyone walks all over him, and his family walks all over him, and finally he's had enough, and everyone's going to get a piece of his mind, and it's kind of like a fantasy wish fulfillment thing, <laughs> and you might try and fit this into that mold at certain points, but. He's so just shitty as a person. He doesn't have a good bank of evidence to hit his family with at the end. And the one who gets to have that moment is Inga, who's been the sort of 
the kind of the, the, the comedic relief the whole time and one of the the character who you probably would have felt most comfortable signing off on and kind of dehumanizing as this is <laughs> just kind of wi- foreign weirdo who you know she's who has because she, because she's so overbearing has been she's been constructing this world around her where she is comfortable and everyone else is uncomfortable made uncomfortable by her yes but then this gives her the moment of saying my whole life i've people have thought i'm just foreign and stupid that's those are the words she says over and over again i've just been foreign and stupid my whole life and this has been absolutely awful for me and that re- that really struck a chord i think that was and she her performance it's it really looks like a really long built up cry mm you know when you have a cry and you know it's been there for a long time. You're like, oh, this is there's a lot coming out in this one. Yeah, she, she does really, pretty good. Yeah, she really does that. Then I'm like, oh yeah, I've you've been kind of hateable this whole time, but really you have been the most authentic, genuine, loving person out of this whole group Cast of, of British people. idiots. Yeah, mm. so I felt something then. But it didn't. It didn't justify how long it took to get there. But bits like that, I could see how. Oh, there's a good story here. There's in. The, there's interesting characters. All of the all of the kids, the main guy, done in the right way. I could get into it. You could if it was done right or better. Yeah. Yes. I feel like they said it, it's like it's I like they see. said to them, "This has to be three eighty-minute episodes." Yeah, we've got this. We've and got these like, slots oh, to fill. Shit, well, this is going to be hard. And they were like, "Make it work." And we're like, and "Okay, we did. well, then we're going to have to really slow this shit down." But I reckon what we do is we start it with ten minutes of pointlessness, and then get into it each episode. That's a genius idea, man. Genius. See, I could get into the dig stuff like, if they did it like more like, than just in the opening scene. Like none of the actual show yeah. is about it at all, and make the. Make the implications of the dig matter thematically, you know, because when they're all the histo- the the historians are there talking about the the idol that was found, and it's saying like this actually links to this sort of wider historical theory about how different civilizations they weren't isolated. They were it was actually this big sort of interpenetrating web. And the yes. light and the darkness are always interwoven and together, and so there's there's themes you could draw out of what you know what the implication of there being this, from their perspective, like pagan fertility idol in the bishop's tomb. Mm. There's a lot you could do with that. There is a lot, but they don't do anything. But this story doesn't really. And I feel as though the book to. might do a little bit more. But yeah, this maybe just doesn't give it the chance at all. I found a bit of trivia. Richard Johnson, our lead mm-hmm. character from this, was also in 2001's Lara Croft, Lara Croft Tomb Raider with Daniel Craig. As young, the young Gerald? No, the old Gerald. Oh, old Richard Gerald. Richard Johnson, old Gerald. Is he the Illuminati? No, he's just in that group. Ah. Do you know any of the other actors in this from anything else? Because I found a couple of cool... Tara Fitzgerald, I've seen her in stuff. Mm-hmm. But no, she, so t- I mean, I've seen Kate Winslet and other things. It's Kate Winslet, yeah. I've seen she's she's popped up once or twice. Yeah. I yeah, I don't know any other Daniel Craig connections, so that's cool. Tara Fitzgerald plays Celise Baratheon, yes, Stannis's wife in Game of Thrones. 
young young Gerald plays Alfred in Joker. <laughs> uh-huh. That's cool. And he's also Rollo Haynes in that episode of Black Mirror with the with the museum. Have you seen that one? No. He's the proprietor of the museum in Black Mirror. Cool. So I thought that was relatively interesting. And do you recognize Inga? No. Which Inga? Old Inga. No. Old Inga plays the fat lady in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Before oh, it was Dawn totally French. Does. She totally does. Before it was Dawn French, it was Inga in Harry Potter. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I like Dawn French more, I was happy with but that. that's cool. Yeah. Dawn French is definitely the, the stronger option. Dawn there. French was just busy for the first one, obviously. Yeah, probably. Well, I think did, did Dawn French come in? When did, did she come in in the third one? When the because then the because then she's more of a character because the painting gets slashed and stuff. Yeah, she gets given things to do, not just playing. Yeah. breaks the glass. <laughs> so we don't have to go through the whole plot. I think we've gone through. We've gone through a bit. The thing is, the plot is like not interesting to go through because it's just meandering around. Yeah, it's the whole the whole the plot of the film or the plot of fucking gerald's thing could have been a day we've told it yeah it could have been a day but instead it takes him what eight weeks yeah story time yeah it should it it should be a day because all he needs to do is stand up at the court of historians or whatever it is that room they keep going to and just say gilbert he put that in there gilbert told me as he lay bleeding in my arms in world war ii so it actually happened (laughs) um you know not Gilbert. after we, we were, were in shot a pub down once and Gilbert was a little one bit time we were in a pub and I think about that once a day for about 20 minutes this, this and that's all going to be on time. screen <laughs> um, he told me that he hated his wife to be yeah. and that also he planted the dick so to, to get at his dad who isn't enough of a character to give to, for us to care about at all no <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, he's not. It really needs to be. We need a lot more time. We. It just needs to. It's like it's non-linear storytelling, quote unquote. But it's not so much non-linear as just like randomized. Yes. It's completely random where you are in because the, the f- flashbacks, just like don't take place burst chronologically. In they don't take place chronologically. No. There's some of them that I think must be a dream sequence because it's the old Gerald actor and young Dolly Hanging out. together in the restaurant when she's drunk and falling over. Yeah, they're definitely dream sequences. There's dream sequence, but he's a but he's awake. He's just in the car. And so <laughs> and then he's like, oh, thinks, like his eyes go off to the side oh, and he thinks. That's what it would have been like if I was this age and she was and not the thing this is, age. And the dream, like, it's very much like, oh, he's in the car. He's having thoughts, blah, 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 dream sequence or flashback. But then it doesn't always come back to him at the car. That scene just like ends and, and then we just cut to, to a else. different <laughs> scene. Nothing ends in a way that makes any sense. Yeah, our master storyteller, Andrew Davies. Here's my question for you. Okay, I'll answer it. Who is the woman that dies in the pond from exposure after the guy makes them play the Auschwitz game? What? 
I'm enjoying saying this in such a way for people who haven't seen this to wonder what the hell I'm talking. Do you remember there's a woman, it's like raining, and he's there's that loutish, I think, Frenchman, who I've no idea what his role was at any point, but they end up in this stately home together, and he just goes absolutely insane, and he, starts, ones, isn't it? and he starts impersonating a Nazi, and she runs outside into a rainstorm, and then it just cuts to her face down in the pond the next morning. Yeah, what did she have to do with the story, though? Yeah, did so you normally I can't tell you. What okay, because you follow this stuff better than I do. So I was going to ask you who she was and what was going on, because then we never come back to that. No, because she's not important. No, I neither think, is he. I neither think, is that scene. No, but he's but he's there and he comes back because Gerald goes to France. I think he's doing something to figure out something about. I I think the dig he's doing was in research France. Into no, the dig was at Gilbert's house. The dig was at Gilbert's house. I thought, but in maybe Gilbert's house. I was could in have sworn when he went to France, that looked like the dig, and I was like, "This is the first time I ever knew the dig was happening in France." No, I'm pretty sure, like the dig was happening in Gilbert's backyard. Okay, well, that's whatever. why they went there that day. He goes to France to investigate something about the idol, and for the life of me, I couldn't tell you what. And then <laughs> that ju- that Frenchman is there, and then it's just them. In the house, and then, oh yeah, he starts, and then that guy, he's like, he is kicking his mum. The old lady comes in, he punches her in the stomach, and then he says, he goes, then he just totally loses it, and he goes, "Let's play Belson." Remember that? And then you might have thought the Nazis were never going to come into this Daniel Craig property. <laughs> you are wrong. And he's like, let's go all the way to the gas chamber. Like, he's doing absolutely awful stuff. And so she, like, crawls outside. She gets away from him. Yeah, because she's crawls crying. Crawls out of the house. It's raining. And then she just dies in the garden. And then we're just back to Inga and Larry. And it's just more Larry shit. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. I found it hard to identify the the darkly comic elements of that. Yeah, that was taking no prisoner's satire, though. Man, it skewered British social and <sighs> academic hypocrisy to the very core. <laughs> yeah, skewered it. Skewered. It's not good. I think we've hit most of it. I think overall, I think what we can get from this is that it's shit. Remember, remember when he flashes back to him and Dolly having a. Uh, having their affair, and he, he drinks wine to his mouth and then spits it into her mouth? Yeah, I'd rather not, but... That was uncomfortable and horrible. <laughs> imagine if someone... Imagine someone you are deeply in love with did that to you. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Dude! We we are done. We this, are not... I thought That's we, why she refuses to marry him. That's what it is. <laughs> she says it's because she remember, can't get over old Jill, Gilbert over there. Old Gilbert. Old Gilbert over there. But <laughs> Gilbert really, and Gerald. it's because he spat wine into her mouth deal and breaker. made her drink it. In the words of Liz Lemon, deal breaker. <laughs> what he is like, I was just trying something. Different. Well, stop trying stuff. Don't do that. Be we, less we inventive. pretty good sex. The, I don't You've know. ruined it. Yeah. What did you do to Inga? <laughs> what did you do? Did you try to do this to Inga? And that's why she won't have sex with you anymore? There's that scene where they're 
trying to have he's trying to have sex with Inga. Yeah. And they're doing it as well. And she just goes, Nope, stop, stop, stop. Yeah, I, I like her line. I, like, I, I will that, never like this. Yeah, her line, I know this is the job of a wife, so yeah. that's fine. We can do it when we have to, but I will never enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> See, if you had a you partner need like to, that, you can help the partner. Yeah, but grow. also, why doesn't he's that kind of relationship? You need to show why it was good at the start, and it wasn't, and why it because made, they didn't have sex before marriage. Like so marriage, he was just like this blonde girl is hot. She can't speak English. Oh, do you think they were already married at that point? Yeah, that that was their wedding night is when that awkward sex scene happened. Ah, that changes it a little bit. Yeah. But even still, you need to show why. Oh, it just made real, like, practical sense for us to get married, you know? Yeah, they. I think they got married because he couldn't be with Dolly. He met this girl. She's pretty and she wants to marry him. They get married. Then she refuses to have sex. Then the sex is all not great. Yeah. And then, yeah, and I guess you can't get divorced then because they were all... Because it's the 50s. Because it's the church. Well, that was the 19... Fucking 18, 17. What it was. Whenever what? the war ended. What? <laughs> the 1817s. Yeah. <laughs> the 191817. <laughs> the 1918. You know what I mean. You know, the pastimes. Pastimes. Like, there was no war, but there was, it was, between there was the remnants of war. Somewhere between 30 and 190 years ago. That's when that happened. <laughs> One of those fights... Had just ended. Black and white times. <laughs> you know, before colour. Everyone wore green. Every, yeah. All the movies of then just have all the dudes wearing green for some reason. Do they wear green? No, because all the movies set then are war films. So all the dudes oh, are wearing green. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do I have any more overall notes? Because the elements of this... It's like it's got it's got good bones as far as I'm concerned. Again, if you're into this style of thing, definitely change the name. But a hour fifty movie where a guy's actually make it a, a guy's a, life a satire. Make it a make it a comedy. Yeah. Make it like a Coen Brothers comedy. Yeah, darkly. Dark, comic. darkly comic where he is. A historian whose career is based on lies, whose family are terrible to him, and even keeps some of the things that kind of feel like weaknesses in this, where you do sort of disrupt that trope of the middle-aged guy who finally takes control. Like, no, you're actually just a, a shitty person, mm. and you you're never going to get to have the moral high ground with everyone around you. You actually need to like do the work to be a good person, not just burn everything down. Yeah. And have your like shitty children or whatever, but have him go back to the have really concretize some things he needs to find out about the dig to mm. prove that it was a hoax. Make that much instead clearer. of him just already knowing at the start. Yeah, cut. Uh, you're cutting everything to do with Larry, and most of the stuff to do with the kids. Basically, I would keep if you were making a common brothers thing. I'd keep that creepy party with the chick who dies in the lake. Keep that sort of thing in there. Yeah, but put Gerald there. Yes, have it mean something. Yeah, yeah, and I think but that's a like a yeah. thing you could put in to be darkly mm. comic. And when I say make it more atonementy, one of my one of the things I like about atonement is how the opening of it, it just really like you might think the whole film's going to take place then in that time period. Mm-hmm. It just sinks in and just shows you that night, 
and mm. then does big time jumps, I would do it like that. How depressing where is atonement? You lean into the the story of the dig and just tell that story, and then you and then that night maybe Daniel Craig tells him it was a hoax or whatever, mm. and then boom, time jump. And it's, 50 years yeah. later. Or you do it as a chunk, like a third of the way in, where you start with old Gerald, you do one big flashback that's like half an hour long, and then you come back to... I, I reckon in the flashback as well, don't even say the hoax bit. The hoax bit happens at the end of the film, where he's known all along. That'd be cool. If that's the twist, mm-hmm. is that he's already he's always known it's a hoax. Yep. That'd be a cool twist. Mm. It's shit. And then... And then it would end with, I guess, because here he finally he finally goes to see Dolly again, which it has built up to a lot, and she's really got herself together. Yeah, she's living a cool life, doing gardening, hanging mm. out in a nice kind of, seaside home. And I kind of like that as well, where he says, you know, I was kind of scared to come and see you. I was worried about, I was scared of what I'd done to you, you know. And kind of the twist is, you did my, my life has is not just been about you yeah <laughs> and i've and it's that sort of realization that oh yeah everyone everyone's living the whole life to themselves and it, you it goes on when you're not around and the fact that she has sort of overcome or she's managed her alcoholism and has actually now sort of and very explicitly had an alcohol problem and is now that on, on top of that and is and they kind they, of have a life together a little bit but she really sets up a boundary with him yeah they reconnect I, as friends yeah she said we can be friends <laughs> i love that it's been like 50 years and then they've gone they've both gone through so much <laughs> they're both like at a point where they can sort of be together and they're both probably more psychologically healthy than they've been at any other time <laughs> in their entire lives and she's still like no i'm not going to be with you i'm still not <laughs> It's never going to happen, Jerry. You had, you didn't have your chance. You never, you think about this, you never had a chance. <laughs> it's not you had a chance and missed it. This has been a closed door from the beginning. The line when she says no originally, like once Gilbert had died. Bored in a week. When Gilbert had died and he goes, well, do you want to get married? And she's like, I'm never going to marry you, but you can have me whenever you want. Mm. <laughs> what? Well, I think, yeah, I, 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 I like I still her. love sex. Yeah. But. I, I like her character, but she's underwritten she in this. Underwritten. Where she's she's un, like she's coherent, but she's obviously got lots going on. She's complex. Where she's she's very like I guess you'd say promiscuous. Yeah, she's I've, she has a she's got she's really into having sex, but at a time in history where as a woman that was a very difficult thing to do socially because you're on a knife's edge of destroying all your social capital by, if that's known. Yeah. She's very much like that. Also torn up by guilt about this weird marriage she was in with Gilbert. Not even marriage, just fiancé. With fiancé. Further complicated by alcoholism. <laughs> so that, and so, so she ends up in this, you know, twisted place where there's a nice guy who loves her, who she loves, and she chooses not to be with him. Because That's she doesn't a story you she, could watch. She doesn't think she deserves to be happy. We just need some more from her perspective or just some more scenes with her to sort of flesh that out a little bit mm. more. Um because yeah. it's all sort of there and you're kind of seeing it through a glass darkly the whole time. Um and if they just let that breathe a little bit more, it's another really strong aspect of the story that probably gets to breathe more in the book. 
Probably. So do you think Daniel Craig's really not a good performance in this? I think it's a fine performance. I think everyone's performance in this is fine. I just think the whole thing is shit. Right. Okay. You know? It's the 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 sum is less it's less than the sum of its parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and also I really don't like Daniel Craig's laugh in this. Yeah, but any laugh that goes on for long enough, you will stop liking. Yeah. And any laugh that goes on for long enough and then is repeated several times. Mm. I think it's a shame that Gilbert dies because he seems like a really interesting character that contrasts really well with all of the other wimps that are just floating around. Like, he's he's a bad person, but he's got some oomph to him. He's he's you know, got some substance to he's his got, badness. Yeah, you know he would he would drive plot points along. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I think um, seeing her deteriorate into a terrible marriage with this terrible dude mm-hmm. and still have her escape with old old Geraldine. Yeah, would be a, an an emotional mm. arc. Yeah, because like her her guilt over Gilbert's death is on uh, it's on screen but, it's but it doesn't carry a lot of weight no in you know she could just deteriorate into alcoholism whilst in this unhappy marriage exactly. with this fiend who's sort of there as an antagonist for Geralt the whole time <laughs> Geralt yeah where are you going to rank it we need to see him do some history as well <laughs> you know there's one sort of montage you see of him doing some light phone calls in his office yeah. But for always investigating, I want to see him being engaged in, you know, trying to do do history stuff. Um, and what are the attitudes? No, oh, they're Anglo-Saxon. Okay. Apparently, I think... <laughs> I really, really don't like the name. I know. <laughs> I really... It's grated on me ever since I found it out, and I still don't like it now. I, I think it's... Talking about attitudes, not as like a psychological attitude, but you know the way people will be in different physical poses, poses like striking an attitude. I guess you know that. So it, I think it's talking about a style of uh, like drawing or painting where um, you know they sort of before people in Britain or Europe knew how to do three dimensions, <laughs> and you know that, and they're like, oh. Yeah, and it's like I don't know why I'm doing this on a podcast. <laughs> just to, people imagine, just imagine an Anglo Sam doing the Egyptian dance. Imagine yes. me <laughs> doing and striking an Anglo-Saxon attitude, oh, <laughs> like that. Like the opening credits of the first series of Blackadder. Remember that? I do remember that. Or was that the second? Se- no, no. Which one is it? It's so Anglo-Saxon. Though. No, I'm thinking of um, Blackadder back and forth, the Millennium Special, where Baldwin invents a time machine. Do you remember that one? <laughs> well, Baldrick, it seems you have invented a working time machine and are, therefore, rather surprisingly, the greatest genius who has ever lived. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> oh, man. And he, and he meets Shakespeare, who's Colin Firth, and he punches him. <laughs> and, he, and then he kicks him. And he goes, that is for every school boy and school girl for the, for the next 400 years. <laughs> Do you have any idea the kind of suffering you're going to cause? <laughs> Trying to find one joke in a Midsummer Night's Dream? Hours of school plays saying things like, What ho, my lord? And, Oh, look, here comes Othello talking total shit as usual. 
Oh, and then he kicks him. He goes, that is for Kenneth Branagh's endless, uncut, four-hour version of Hamlet. <laughs> Who's Kenneth Branagh? I'll tell him you said that. <laughs> and I think he'll be very hurt. <laughs> when was that? They brought it out. It was You could... When I went to the Millennium Dome nice. in the year 2000, you could go into a little cinema and watch that. Oh, that's cool. And they brought it out for the Millennium. So it's on the eve of the, of the Millennium Baldrick accident. They find an old notebook from Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. And Baldrick follows it to the letter and accidentally makes a working time machine. And so they go back to all the different time periods. Which Blackadder? It's like a it's like a different one. It's just it's, it's the just only like time you see uh, the year two thousand, Edmund Blackadder. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty pretty good. Cool. I'll Google it. Um, where do you want to rank it? Where are we putting these Anglo-Saxon attitudes? Well, as everyone already knows from when we ranked Cinderella at the start of this, <laughs> we're not scoring these out of ten or anything like that. We are creating an overall ranking of all Daniel Craig's performances from best to worst uh if you want to see our current list of films only not tv shows you can check us out on letterboxd and uh that's the only place you can see the list unfortunately should post this somewhere but i need to make like a graphically engaging version of it otherwise it's just like a word document and it's not very yeah it's not very cool so this is now the 67th thing going on the list okay and the last one for a few months. Unless we find Boone. Boone. So Boone. this is <laughs> So this is close to the bottom. I close think. to the bottom. Ooh, that doesn't sound bottom. Stop. <laughs> Stop saying bottom. Bottom. <laughs> I f- it's a very a very unsettling word. What? Bottom? Yeah. Or when I say like Bottom. <laughs> but they're, they're both bad, but the harder you hit the double T, Bottom. the creepier it is, bottom. I think. Bottom. Yeah. Bottom. Why is it called bottom, but but? Why um, is bottom spelt with two O's, look, but Isaac, but is spelt with a U? I'm not going to lie to you. You could fill a lot of books with what I don't know about the history <laughs> of arse terminology. All right? Um, and I'm not going to and I'm not going to try and Do you ever think pretend about- otherwise. How you've never heard the Monster Mash? You've just heard a song about some guy who heard it? There's a couple of things like that. Aren't there? there's yeah, a... there's a few. Like, you've never heard the greatest song in the world. You just yeah. heard someone write a tribute about it. Sure. Yeah, well, you can't play the greatest song in the world. You can't. You can only play a tribute. Yeah. There's another... I'm, not, I'm never... I'm not going to get it right now. But yeah, no, I haven't thought about that. Okay. <laughs> so I feel like this is in the bottom quarter. Um, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll settle for that. I'd say start at the bottom. I don't want to start at the bottom. I want to start a little bit further okay, up. Okay, cool. What do you got? Love is the devil. It's worse then. Oh, no. See, I knew that would get you because you had such a passionate hatred of that film. Probably it's because of your terrible. homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with the editing or pacing. It's mostly just that. You know what? I think, that's, I think this is maybe made better than that. No, I I think I you think, I, I think love is the devil better? is better. Yeah, I'm, I'll allow it. Love is the devil has some has some panache. And What's below love is the devil? Uh, be- next below that is I dreamed of Africa. Is it? Yeah. Okay, this is m- much worse than I dreamed of Africa. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. 
they had to go to Africa for that one. Yeah, they actually did stuff. This was all just It was Somerset. also probably based on a book, yeah. And okay. it was below that. Below that gets a bit weird. Drop the Dead Donkey, that one episode of a sitcom. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I think this is better than that. But what's below that? Zorro. No, that was shit. Then it's Saturday Night Live 2012. <laughs> then it's A Kid in King Arthur's Court. What are we smoking? So you thought A Kid in King Arthur's Court was better than this. I do. I still do. Well, that's below all those others. Yeah, but those others are worse than this. Well, that's the that's the bind this stupid list gets us in. <laughs> all right, where would you like to put this? Do you think this is better than A Kid in King Arthur's Court? I think it is better than A Kid in King okay, Arthur's Court it because it does... Whilst it is drab and not good, for my for my vantage point, it does have a kind of dour maturity that does Kid invest it with some degree count. of value <laughs> that a Kid in Arthur's Court doesn't have. Well, then we should put it underneath. I dreamed of. Africa. I dreamed of Africa. Yeah, but above the other two things. Those which are shit. Those weird TV shows. Lock it in, Eddie. Better than Love and Rage. Lock it in, Eddie. <laughs> Anglo, Saxon. Can we change attitudes. the title? I still think our best, our, our first joke was the best. It sounds like a racist magazine. <laughs> yeah. I went to Anglo-Saxon attitudes. Well, we really dig into what's so great about the Anglo-Saxons. <laughs> I'm not saying necessarily better, but you get it. Not worse, you know what I mean? Not worse, definitely. Not as bad. It's my pants. It is be I do not understand how you're making that amount of noise on that chair. <laughs> it's it a is, metal chair. It is beyond science. It's a metal chair. So? Yeah, anything any movement I make. Are would, you wearing just noise. are you wearing leather? You just That's insane. <laughs> Sorry, I've been holding it in for a while. <laughs> you sound like Ace Ventura coming out of the rhino. Warm. <laughs> it's hot in these rhinos. Well, here we are at the end, Isaac. Has it been fun, Dan? It has. But watching this, I really did have a sense of I'm... I don't want to do this anymore yep you know i wasn't Sorry. sad i'm sad to be at the end of all the world's craigton but i'm not sad to be at the end of watching this kind of thing no anything we find now Which, anything that comes out from this point on yeah has got to be infinitely better <laughs> yeah and look, than so many things we've watched going forward don't worry, everyone. We will be back to review whatever new Craig Tint comes out. And it's going to be a while. You're not getting anything other than No Time to Die this year. That we know of. He yeah, could surprise us. I, yeah, I feel like I'd know. I mean, and if we ever get hold of Boone, that, that'll obviously will be, will be an episode. But yeah, I think going forward from here, it's, look, a real, like a, an important part of building your audience is consistency. And... We are heading into a period of absolute inconsistency when it comes to this podcast. I hope everyone's ready for that. So, no idea when the apologies in advance. In advance, but I'm looking forward to coming out of this before we begin another series of some kind, 
just entering a bit of a chill period where maybe we can just review whatever fun movies are coming out. Maybe we could just go to the movies sometimes as well. Yeah. You know? We could now we, let's we could review films that we saw at the movies. We could like also we just used to go to the movies as well. Yeah, we can do that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it yesterday. Just that option is there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what one of my ideas was? Yeah. It'll be twenty twenty one colon whatever is on. <laughs> and just once a month we see one of the weird random movies that's on at the movies at the moment, which never would be normally. No, there's so many good Australian films coming out. Yeah. I watched Tiger the other day. The Dry. That was pretty good too. Penguin Bloom. I don't know what that's about. It's Naomi Watts. Oh, cool. No. We like Naomi Watts. She's Australian. I, I want to like Naomi Watts. And you do. But it's just the, the, the hit to miss ratio is... She was in... Daniel Craig's. You sound like a haunted house. <laughs> you're a one. You're you're a one man carnival ride over there. <laughs> Let me just open this door. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening, everybody. Tune in next week for more. Of this. We will not be hit it. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> We will not be here next week. I invite you to go back and revisit our evergreen back catalogue. Yeah, that doesn't of have any speaking. And go, go go way back. Go back to Aquamane. You know, we've got, we've got Daniel some, Craig's not in that. We've got but some great stuff back there. Um, if you have any suggestions or ideas, do get in touch. I'm liking the Stephen King idea more and more. I had a little rough draft of what of, of what we would do for it. It's weird. This is weird because it feels like we've finished this like a few times. We have. It but was a... somebody keeps doing research. Yeah, yeah. Someone. Well, no, no, someone keeps doing research badly the first time <laughs> and making critical errors. When we, got, when we finished Knives Out, it felt like the end. And then we thought we were finished before Christmas. And then we found out about this stupid thing, which Daniel Craig is barely in. He's not in it. He's not in it, really. He's not. He's in it less than he is in fucking Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. I'm irked. So now, but, and, you know, and you know what? This isn't the end. Because the end is no time to die. Correct. So this is nothing. This moment means nothing to us emotionally. So does Anglo-Saxon Attitudes. Much like Anglo-Saxon Attitudes, this, this moment nothing. is meaningless. And will be forgotten by everyone listening and by us. So, uh, yeah, good on you, everybody. We'll, um, we'll, we'll see you around. All right. Bye. All right, bye. God, what a fucking waste of time.